Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. Five years after his first appearance on the podcast, Eric Topol is back today, and we had the most incredible conversation. He has a new book out called Deep Medicine, and it is a deep dive into AI, machine learning, and the role that these technologies can play in healthcare, in healthcare delivery, in medicine, and the potential to reinvent our profession. The book has received all of the plaudits and praise and all of those amazing things that it deserves. This podcast goes in a very different direction, and I think you're going to really enjoy this. It's important to have a contrary voice. It's important to sometimes raise the alarm, and Eric and I go deep onto some of the subtext and meaning of his book. Before we get to the conversation, I just want to invite all of you to please take a look at the website for Explore the Space, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com, and you can find Explore the Space on any podcast platform you like. We are on all of them. Please leave us a rating and review, and please take the opportunity to subscribe. It's a huge driver of other people being able to find the show, and really appreciate you taking the time to do that. So without further ado, Eric Topol. Eric, welcome back to Explore the Space. Good to be with you again, Mark. It's amazing. It's been the, the gap between you coming on this show is almost five years. And I think that speaks to a couple of things. One, it speaks to the amount of time it takes to create something like Deep Medicine, this incredible book that we get to jump into. And also, it speaks to how supportive you are and how engaged you are with wanting to talk with people who are interested in this sort of thing. So thank you for circling back almost five years later. Oh, I really appreciate it. No, it's what you're doing is terrific and amazing how many of these uh, podcasts you've done over the years. Yeah, like it's it, it's good fun and I really do love it. So I am, I can't boil the ocean with you. I follow you on Twitter. I read your books. There's too much. So we're going to try to keep this narrow. One of the things that I have found very interesting in following you on Twitter and having read your books and I don't know if this was intentional, and I think this is kind of where I want to start. We look for bellwethers, I think. I think we look for people, personalities, and events that are sort of touchstones and reference points that can separate a lot of noise and direct us to things that are really meaningful and pointed. And what I have found in you know being really active on Twitter for maybe the last six months or so and having been aware of your work and followed your work for some amount of time, that's the corner that you're on. And I'm wondering, is that something you are mindful of? Are you, is that intentional work to say, I, I have a Twitter following, I've written books that have gotten a response, I have a very interesting Rolodex, I can connect with interesting people, and I know this stuff, and I, I have some, some semblance of, of insight. Was that an intentional piece of work to say, I'm going to position myself as the as a nexus point. No, no, not at all. I, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, info junkie. I read a lot. So I figure out tweet it. And, uh, you know, of course with me, I've been uh, out there as a physician for 35 years. So yeah. I have a lot of experience. Uh, sometimes I like to think of it as a little bit of wisdom. And so trying to 
pass that along because, you know, I, I, I think we haven't realized how much room there is to improve things. And so between, you know, the, the advances that are occurring in life science every day and the frustrations about, you know, the practice of medicine, I, you know, I, I have a lot to weigh in on and, uh, it's always kind of getting updated. And I learn a lot, of course, through my colleagues and through, uh, the people that share things also through Twitter and other, uh, means. So it's, it's a need for lots of stimulation and hopefully yeah. adding to the mix as well. How much though, does your work cross over? Because one of the things that I've really come to realize, having been a physician now for over a decade, having had a podcast for five years, having been more active on social media in the last you know six to seven months, physicians in general and people in the sciences have followed a certain path in terms of conveying information and, and sharing wisdom and insight. And it's been very insular. And I think that that in, in a lot of ways has created a vacuum. We know that nature abhors a vacuum and it's going to get filled and it gets filled with things that aren't necessarily correct or helpful. Your work does cross over. And I'm very curious, especially around driving that. How do people who are creating, who do have something to say, who do have research, who have basic science, who have insight into what's coming, artificial intelligence and machine learning, how do we pull levers so that that information crosses out of what I like to call PubMed hell, gets out from behind paywalls, gets into the public discourse in a way that everyone can share and interact? Yeah, I think uh, it'd be great if more uh, physicians uh, were active like that. Um, you know, I think it boils down to people are really busy and is this going to be a priority, you know, right. to, to try to get into this uh, mode of of uh, of being part of this whether it's information or whether it's you know the progress i think it is uh, a way that we can see more activism uh like i've seen in recent times particularly over the last year or two much more physician activism than i'd ever seen in in you know m multiple decades uh, especially noteworthy among women, uh, which is fantastic. But we, by by feeding on each other's interests and frustrations and uh, hope, you know, I, I do think that this is a really important way that we can uh, establish more unity. Uh, not that we need unions, but we do need uh, to fight for common purpose. Uh, and, you know, I think it's a time where there's more excitement uh, potentially, uh, there's rescues in the works, perhaps yeah. you could say that, um, you know, it's going to happen faster if we're all on it. What you're saying connects very nicely for me as a podcast host, but also as a busy physician with lots of responsibilities who recognizes the responsibility that comes with that. And there have been other folks that have, I've been really fortunate to have had on the show. And one that was really meaningful and important for me was Mona Hanna Atisha. And she was very frank. She said, Physicians have a megaphone and we have a responsibility to keep it turned on. I think that speaks a lot to this vein of activism that you're describing. And I think that it's, it's vital that more and more people grab onto it. And the fact that again, right, you in that bellwether place, you in that place of someone that on Twitter, on social media, on the speaking circuit, on the publishing circuit, people are going to look to hearing that come from you, I think really resonates. Well, a couple of points on that. First of all, Mona Hanna is, you know, uh, 
um, a hero of mine. She's incredible. She's amazing. Amazing. And uh, I have the highest regard for her. And when I mentioned earlier about women who are leading the activism front, she comes to mind, of course, right away. Yeah. Uh, and what you know, what you've done, uh, you were in the podcast world, you know, before the mania uh, came aboard in recent times. And, yeah, I was an early adopter, and you were right there with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. So let's get into how this connects to the book and the the part of deep medicine, the part of your Twitter feed, and the the dialogue and discussion that sometimes just as I see it, as I think about it. I can't think of a better way to describe it than it makes springs blow out of my head, either because of excitement or frustration. You commented on the sense of frustration. You commented on the sense of togetherness. You commented on the sense of activism. Deep medicine and the world ahead of us, I think you call it the fourth industrial age, is going to require, it's a prerequisite that physicians are ready and able to do that work. Because as I read your book, and as I've spoken with lots of people, Christina Farr, we know some of the same people. We've had the chance to speak to some of the same people. Christina Farr, Vivek Wadwa, these are really smart people who know this space. I don't know that physicians realize the tidal wave that is rolling towards us and that is coming really fast. And we need to get ready because it has the potential to do some positive things. And my concern is it has the potential to be extraordinarily destructive. Oh, I share that. I actually, that's my biggest worry. You know, yeah. a lot of people say, well, what about, uh, all the issues of AI with privacy, security, Ugh. uh, worsening inequities, yep. uh, black box, uh, bias, ethical issues. I mean, all those things are real and important, but the biggest one to me is using this truly remarkable productivity, efficiency, workflow, accuracy, speed, all these things that are going to happen. Uh, that are going to potentially yield this gift of time like we've never seen yeah. in, the, in the years ahead. All that could be uh, used in, in, a, in a negative way to make things even yes. worse. I and read your that's book. What, that my, biggest, my biggest concern is that's what's going to happen. That's you, the default mode. Yes. And unless we stand up, then, it's, then we're, we're doomed for this to get even worse than it is today. I read your book, and I think I'm in the minority of people who, when I read it, I read the blurbs, I've read the reviews, I read the cover. Your book to me was not, look how great this is all going to be. Your book to me was a warning. Your book to me was, everybody, you need to open your eyes because the entrepreneurial world, the venture capital world, the big business world is already here and they're coming for more. They are not patient-centered. They are margin-centered. And they are going to run roughshod over us. That's what I got out of your book. I did not get, let's clap it up for AI. I got, we need to really get ready or the fundamental principles of the work that we do to take care of patients is going to get trampled. You know, Mark, I couldn't agree more with your assessment because I think what we have here is this uh, unparalleled opportunity. We may never see this again for generations, if not ever. And it could easily be botched. 
it will be botched yeah. if we don't, uh, you know, go after this. That if we don't, as a medical community, say, you know, we're we're unlikely to have this opportunity again, right. and we're not going to let it happen like all the other bad things did, like right. the electronic health record fiasco or the right. RVUs or the HMOs or you know one thing after another that physicians have essentially laid down and let them happen. Just let them happen. This time, yeah, this time, this is bigger than all those put together. Yep. And it, and it needs a planning now, and it needs to be, uh, you know, uncompromised, uh, strident, and, of course, getting patients to rally as well. In some respects, it means training instead of just machines for algorithms. Yeah. It means training administrators. It means having less administrators. Okay, I want to pick up on um, that. But, you know, all that sort of thing. You know, I don't want to I don't mean it, to interrupt you, but you just stepped on the thing that I want to talk to you about the most. And it's the issue of staff shifts and what's going to happen to our workforce. Mm. To because when you wrote in the book in a couple of different places how entrepreneurs look at this as an extraordinary opportunity, that gave me chills. That makes me really, really nervous. And then when you talk about how it's going to free up physician time, same thing goes because there's been all these articles and there's this thing in the discourse around how AI is going to make radiology obsolete and all the radiologists are going to lose their jobs and all of these different things. This is insane. When you look at the physician workforce, the line for the last 30 years is flat. We know there are physician shortages across almost every specialty across the United States. How on earth could we be talking about deploying a strategy that's going to reduce our physician workforce when, in parallel, we've looked at the same curve and you put it on social media, I think, the other day. The growth curve of healthcare administrators over the last 30 years is a 45-degree line up. Right. We're not looking at right. this the right way. If there's a way to deploy this, let's deploy it in a play where there might be a little bit of meat on the bone. There is no meat on the bone in the physician workforce right now. No, there isn't. And of course, it, uh, the role will be uh, one that's far more efficient. Yeah. That is being able to say, now, so many patients in the times ahead are going to be dealing with their routine issues, yeah. whether it's a skin rash or lesion or yeah. a UTI yeah. or a uh, ear infection of a child, and, uh, the long list of non-serious matters that will no longer be requiring a doctor in the loop. Yeah. And that then introduces in itself a big uh, decompression. But then the other thing, of course, is when you don't have keyboards, when you don't have the, uh, the the lack of screening, which is going to happen with algorithms for every image that we know of, whether it's a, uh, a, a film uh, scan or whether it's a, a, an ultrasound echocardiogram at 12 lead, uh, you, whatever it is, a slide, it's going to have a pre-screening before the physician ever looks at it. Yeah. And so, so many things are going to be uh, the, uh, outsourced to machines on the clinician side. And when you add all this stuff up, that's when you have this potential to restore care, to restore the human bond that used to be the case. I mean, back in the 70s, you know, when I was uh, in medical school, that was a really big deal. Yeah. That, that was the norm. That's right. And there was plenty of time. It, the squeeze wasn't on yet. Medicine had not become a big business as it is today. And we have the potential to have this back to the future story. Mm-hmm. Uh, which most people don't acknowledge yet. Uh, 
And it won't happen by accident, that's for sure. But this is what is the yearning. This is what patients want. And this is why we went into this profession in the first place. But as you know very well, Mark, with the epidemic of burnout and depression, even suicides among not just doctors, but in clinicians in general, this is at a point now that something has to be done. And I don't know of a better solution than to than this combination of outsourcing clinicians, their tasks to get help, and also shifting the uh, charge, the empowering patients who want the responsibility, but now through generating their own data and having algorithmic support will be enabled. So two thoughts to that. Because there are components of what you said, and as I get to edit this and play it back, that are going to really stick with me because they feel and they sound right and they feel and they sound aspirational. But there's a couple of places where I think you and I will walk the road together over the next few years on Twitter and social media. And then in five years when you come back on the show where we'll, we'll argue a little bit. And that's right. That's good that we do that. I think that the, the workload shifting, 100% agree, has to happen. I think that physicians in how they can be activists need to have a say in what gets shifted. Because I think we might find that in phase one, the right work would be to shift some of the busy work, some of the, the stuff that's way below our license as physicians away from doctors and let machines do it. Paperwork, scribe, note fulfillment, meeting the various meaningful use measures, making sure that that stuff is done. In the Bay Area, you know as well as I do, there's already companies that are creating uh, that are already creating AI and machine learning driven medical record completion and note completion. To me, that feels like a first phase as opposed to saying, Mark, you don't need to see somebody with an uncomplicated UTI that may need admission anymore. That makes me uncomfortable. I want to see that person. I want to check on them. I want to make sure the machine is right. And I also want to make sure that they know that there's another human being that's got their back. I think there's plenty of stuff yeah, for us to well, get rid of. I'm, I'm with you on that, yeah. uh, except that when you have uh, a prospective study and you show that an algorithm that di to diagnose ETI right. done without a doctor is yep. more accurate than a doctor. I'm with you. I know. replicated. <laughs> and, and then you have to say, wait a minute. You wait know a minute. What? I know. What are we doing here? I know. Why are we, why are we putting doctors through that uh, issue? It's a great point. We can do better. It's a you great know, so point. That's already operational in the UK, for I know. example. I know. And, uh, and there's, you know, five different uh, companies that are all over this. I just use that as an example because I can see that non-serious things yes. will be diagnosed accurately without having the necessary have uh, a doctor or nurse clinician nurse practitioner in involved right uh, obviously when a person has got problems uh, that are um, uh, durable that you know extending beyond the initial diagnosis, yes. so that's a different story that's a different but story. I think routine things that are not serious you know a rash you, uh, when it's not something that is really causing systemic illness is is not going to hurt somebody you know these are things that you know i think can be offloaded but they have to be done and uh, the book uh, deep medicine i emphasize this a lot that if we don't have you know rigorous uh clinical trials uh that prove it unequivocally and replicate and surveillance so that in the post approval phase or acceptance one of the problems we've already seen is if you only show this in one ancestry or one venue, 
and it's it's all great and validated, that doesn't mean it's going to translate or extrapolate more widely. So that's why surveillance, not only that, but there's a potential for malware and hacking and glitches in the algorithm. So that's why uh, I'm not suggesting that we're that we're going to go there imminently. Right. And I do agree with you that elimination of human scribes and the keyboard liberation is going to happen much more quickly. And, I, and I hope that that's the case because we will get there. We'll get there. And I agree. I think that you said the key thing for me is that it has to be evidence-based and it has to be driven by the best practices that we know when these things that are going to directly affect another human being are in play. And that's the corner that I will stand on until I don't have breath because when we look at this stuff being held in the private sector, and it will be, they are not going to look at it that way. They're going to look at, let's get this to market and let's drive our margin. And that is where we, that is where I differ. And that's where, when you talk about in the book, and I'm not saying you subscribe to this at all. And that's why I think your book is a very effective warning that for entrepreneurs, for things like that, for, you know, there's, there's people, and I don't want to say their name. I don't want to blast them on, on my podcast, but there's people in the, in the tech news world who talk about healthcare being this great new resource for what, what was it called? Uh, I don't remember the term that this person used on Twitter, but I called them out on Twitter and that's not what we are. We're not here to be plundered, right? People will get hurt if we don't do this work, right? If we want to start this work, we can start it with the stuff that you described so nicely, right? The scut work that we don't need to be doing as physicians, as nurses, that stuff we can clear off and then reassess. Do you think though, that the sequence is going to be one that works for patient-centered care? Or do you think that it's something that physicians are going to really have to dig their heels in and say, this part must go second? Oh, I know. I think we, we are going to have to dig in our heels because otherwise uh, radiologists will just be told they have to read, you know, two to five to 10 times more scans. Yeah. The same for pathologists, the same for, you know, ophthalmologists, seeing patients, dermatologists, I mean, you name it. So the, it, all we are doing here is feeding the squeeze if we don't um, turn this thing back. Right. Let's say we're going to use this efficiency, which as you know very well, healthcare, especially in this country, is remarkably inefficient. And if we now are, are flipping that, and with the help of this kind of remarkable support that is starting to fulfill its early, it's early in the story, but it's certainly it starting is. to fulfill its promise, then, uh, you know, this is why we have to turn that productivity inward. And that's where the loss of the human factor, the human touch, the, the uh, presence and trust, and that deep empathy, we, we can get that back. But only by uh, demanding it. Only by oh, saying see, that, that is, en you know, enough is enough. That's you know, that so we're, well we're said. Not gonna get, you know, you're not going to get sucked into this um, business of medicine any oh, longer. I, I, I want to rip up an applause because when I'm doing my work, I'm just thinking to myself, I cannot have anything else ladled onto my shoulders. I cannot have another meaningful use thing that I have to keep track of. I cannot massage my progress notes any further. This is ridiculous. I've been at this for 14 years. I like to think I'm a competent physician. I don't care about massaging notes anymore. And the fact that we can now have a tool that will allow us to get back to the aspirational, to the part where we can connect. Like when you're saying that, I'm just like, that's the part that I want to get behind and, and, and ride with you because that that's regenerative. That's, that's restorative. 
Yeah, if we are really uh, on this all over it, I do think that, that, and going back to the point Mona made that you touched on, we can do this if we are uh, really uh, bound together and, and just are relentless yeah. in demanding. And all the stuff that has, it isn't just the keyboards and the uh, the pathetic electronic health records, but all the <laughs> other things that have been put on doctors, right. like, you know, all their, their quality assessments oh. that are bogus, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, I, I get for my, I didn't prescribe enough statins, you know, somebody had right. an OPL, right. was 110, right. I didn't need a statin. I mean, these are ridiculous things. Yeah. Uh, uh, the use of guidelines that are eminence-based rather than evidence-based and using that as enforcers, that the pseudo-quality indicators that are based on just, you know, really shaky. Yeah, really I love that you and I are getting each other all revved up because we have the yeah, same experience and it's true and it's right. Like, I, I get, you know, I think you and I probably in our, you know, over the course of your career and in mine now, right, we get to go to those meetings. Like I get to participate in, in, in the, in the meetings at my hospital and in my institution. And I'm in the place now where I have begun saying, we can't, no, I, I can't do any more of these things. I can't remember all of the different ways I'm supposed to change the nomenclature in my note that doesn't affect patient care, but it drives billing. It's exhausting and it's not interesting to me. And it doesn't change oh, I mean, it, the care that I'm doing. It's, unner it's unnerving. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, Scripps Health uh, got a new uh, Epic system. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I had to I had to spend 25 hours <laughs> training in Epic. Right. Or I wouldn't be able to practice medicine. Isn't that an, I amazing? To go somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah, and we're and not looking to go back. What was I learning to? What was I learning to do? Yeah. to to help the billing process. That's right. Right. That's, That's what right. I spent twenty five hours yeah. of my time to learn the billing. This is sick. Mark. And think about what a what totally a board certified un, un, cardiologist un, 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 can do. Yeah, and think about what a board certified cardiologist can do with your skill set with twenty five hours of time. And it's a zero sum game. You lost twenty five hours. Your patients and your staff lost twenty five hours of your time. It's bananas. We're, we're going to need an ally in this work, and the ally is going to be, right, the, the whole theme of Explore the Space. We're going to need an ally. We're going to need people who are also in search of healthcare because while physicians have big, powerful megaphones, there are not going to be enough of us to drive this work. We're going to need the public support. I would suggest, and I think that your book lays this out, and I'm going to – I'm guessing that you're with me on this. The way that we're going to get the public's support of saying, slow this down – and do this rationally and safely and beta test it with the garbage in the electronic medical record that's not going to affect my care is privacy. Because in the book, you talk about how with all of this data mining and, and sensors and all of the, the biometrics that we can track and the things that are moving into professional practice, I don't think it's a question of there's a possibility that, this, that, that privacy is going to be an issue. It's an issue. It's going to get violated. This stuff is going to get hacked. We, there, there's nothing that's been secure yet. Why on earth would we think that electronic medical records and data vaults are going to be any less secure? That I think is the lever that's going to get the public to sort of join us and say, this isn't, we're not ready for this yet. This isn't, you haven't thought this out yet. Right. Right. No, I, I think we're in accord there. I really do. Where do you think the, what is the timing for this? Because some parts of this, I agree with you are here. Some parts of it are coming. The hype machine for sure is here and it's revving at, you know, 5,000 RPMs. As we're thinking about a strategy 
And as you're kind of thinking about your strategy, again, in this bellwether role, what is the tempo we should be looking at from the physician side and also from the public side? Well, I mean, it's already starting to take hold and in some ways, you know, more outside the U.S. because of the lack of uh, the uh, malincentive and resistance and whatnot. But, you know, in in the U.K., I, I was commissioned by the government there to run a review of the NHS and plan the next two decades yeah. with AI it was excellent. genomics. And I, I, I learned so much from it. Yes. But one of the things I learned already, they have an emergency room, a big one, uh, that's liberated from keyboards. Uh, and everything is all the action uh, that you would expect, the notes, the orders, the tests, the, you know, everything is just done through voice. And it's an emergency room of all places, not just a regular, you know, uh, calm outpatient clinic. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's happening. It's yes. happening in the U.S. in, you know, radiologists uh, more and more are having algorithms that are FDA approved screen. So it, I, I, most people are not aware of this. I agree with you. <laughs> 30%, of, of scans uh, of medical images are false. There's a false negative rate of over 30%. Missed things, missed things on films. I, I had no idea it was at that level. Wow. So here's a great booster yeah. of combining machine and human performance to not miss things. And so pretty quick, you're going to see this in colonoscopies, machine vision to not miss small polyps. You're going to see it, you know, th- probably this year, now that there's randomized trials and uh, uh, AI algorithm FDA in the queue. We already are seeing at the consumer level, you know, with uh, atrial fibrillation on your wrist, to yep. diagnosis with a cardiogram, soon potassium diagnosis through your watch, uh, you know, for uh, people who have kidney disease. Uh, so the, one by one, they're, they're getting approved, they're getting, you know, uptake. We have diabetic retinopathy screening by the receptionist in primary care offices. I mean, you know, that's approved by the FDA. So it isn't like a, a, a on-off switch. It's happening, you know, in wave fronts that are relatively small, specific uh, indications. But cumulatively, it's taking hold and it's going to accelerate. Yeah. So we will need to keep close track of things and that when we see things that don't feel right or look right, Right. There's not going to be a script for this. I think that what I'm hearing from you in, in hearing that descriptor of how quickly this has already arrived and is moving is just like with anything else, we just need to have the courage to call it out and, and trust that people will come to our side when we say, Hey, this is happening at my institution and this is not correct. This feels risky. This feels reckless. Or, Hey, this is happening at my institution and this is great because it's shaken loose 20% of my time and I can see that many more patients and I can be home for dinner and I'm, you know, my teams are better and our recruiting is going better and our physician and staff retention is, we need to be able to just, I think probably that's the starting point is to call them out in an anecdotal fashion and then build from there. How does that sound to you though? I am with you. Yeah. Yeah. There's another piece to this that I think as you were discussing the, 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 the wearables and how we're going to be collecting data from those. And and we'll have to have another podcast because you and I don't have the requisite time to, to really get into this is I think we have to be very, very careful right now with those things because as we're collecting data, we're collecting data from a subset of the population and that's a subset of our population that has money because those things are expensive and they're not accessible. They're not widely accessible yet. Um, and I think that we're, we need to be sure that we're aware of that because the data will be skewed. It will not be, uh, it will be a first world 
well-off data set that we're mining, not a widely applicable population research data set that we'll be mining. Right. Do you foresee another book? How do we, how do we, what's, what's your, what's your no, role? No, What are never. you going to do? No, right? I, I don't mean never, but <laughs> I, I, you know, I, this one took over three years. It, I know. It was, well, I don't want to really wait five hard. years to have you on the podcast again. That was a long haul. So yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know that I would do another one, at least unless it was something of this magnitude, okay. um, you know, that it was worth the effort. Yeah. But here it's the hardest I've ever worked on anything. Wow. In, in any project yeah. in my, uh, uh, career. Yeah. Um, and I think hopefully it'll turn out. I didn't go into it having any clue that this was potentially going to be the transformative impact in, in you, in the bringing back humanity, uh-huh. humaneness uh-huh. in medicine. I uh-huh. went into it thinking, what are we going to get out of this? You know, what, what, where is it going to take it? So I learned so much from it. It was worth the effort for me. Hopefully, you know, some of those things that I have learned will, will uh, be useful for others as well. I, I think that that's the case. And I think that. Oh, my hope is that you're able to convey ideas, concepts, sound alarms, you know, celebrate, celebrate triumphs faster. Because as you said, right, this took you three years. Like we want to hear from you and from other people who know this stuff and and have some level of understanding at a different tempo now, because we can read these books, but these things are, as you say, they're already here. And so having folks like yourself and Mona Hanna Atisha and all these other great personalities available to that we can sound off with much quicker. I think that that will be very effective as sort of a phase two, as we're kind of walking through this together. But the other thing that I will say is the book should be read. I was anxious when I was proposing the idea to you that it was a warning because um, that was my take and I haven't seen that take very much. And I, I appreciate you at least receiving that and at some level agreeing because to me, this book is a warning. It's a great book. I'm really glad that you wrote it. I'm glad that you stepped into that tension of something you didn't understand and learned about it and wrote the book. When people look at those blurbs, this book is to me is not part of the hype machine. And that was a surprise. I thought it was going to be just part of the mill. It's not. This book says hit the brakes, pay attention, get loud because this is happening and this might not be what we think it is. Well, thanks, Mark. You, you've definitely spilled it just right. It's been five years. I'm so glad you came back. Thank you for taking the time. Hopefully, it will not be another five years. Uh, for me, it's just really exciting to get to speak with you again. You do such important work. You're so much fun to follow on Twitter. For people who want to find you, for people who are learning about this for the first time, how do people find you? Oh, well, it's easy to find me on Twitter. I'm a, I'm a nut on it, so that's easy and Otherwise, uh, you know, you can email me and I'll try to respond if it's pretty, especially if it's a short note, uh, <laughs> will help. Uh, um, uh, you know, also, yeah, I try to be out there to be, be interactive and responsive as best as I can. But thanks so much, uh, Mark. You've been really kind. It's been great to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming back on the show and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.